Hello and welcome to another episode of Midiara Meets, the monthly music podcast where we talk to a wide range of people from the music world. This month I'm speaking to Aid Fenton, who is a composer, musician, a DJ and producer based in the southwest of England. Aid's had a phenomenal career as a techno DJ. He's toured the world and played on some of the biggest lineups you can possibly imagine on the scene. More recently, he's worked with Gary Newman on his latest four albums and was the producer of his latest album, Savage, which was released to critical acclaim. So I caught up with Aid earlier on this year to talk about his career and how it's formed and what's in store for him. So let's check it out. Hey, Fenton. Hello. Uh, It's really good to meet you. You too. Thank you very much for uh, letting me come to your studio in Bath. My pleasure. Uh, It's one of my favourite cities in the UK, Bath. I absolutely love this place. I'm glad you say Bath and not Bath because... yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's how it should be said. Exactly. I've sort of been trained to say Bath because I live on the south coast. Yeah, and people always take the piss out of me saying yeah, likewise. Bath. Yeah. yeah, likewise. Do they say uh, Bath here? Yeah. yeah, I'm the only person that says Bath. Good, because there's no R in it. You see, so it's Bath. I know. Yeah, you know what? There are so many rules in the English language that state that it should really be Bath yeah. rather than Bath. Right. I shall. I shall look into that. But yeah, it's a lovely city. It I really is. like it. Yeah, it's great. Cool. So. Um, my first question that I ask in, in my interviews is, what were your earliest memories of music? Um, as a sort of music um, purchaser or a music uh, fan or whatever, it was and it's probably going to sound corny because everyone knows sort of what I've done later on in my career, but you know, the first 7-inch single I bought was our Friends Electric, um, and uh, I had a massive kind of... Uh, you know, I was a big fan of Gary Newman's when I was when I was a kid, and that lasted until now, really. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it, you know, it was just something about this has been said by many people, but it was just something about the sound of our friends Electric, which opened up a whole world of me being into music. You know, it, it just um, nothing else that I'd heard up until that point. Um, you know, it's like you, you might like certain songs or tracks or whatever, but nothing kind of made something happen inside that you can't really put your finger on. Mm-hmm. And hearing um, not not only the synthesizer sound and, and electronic music, you can you can sort of look back on it now and 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 think it was more than it was. But you know, at the time that that record was so even though there were Kraftwerk and Tangerine Dream and all the rest of it that just brought it to the masses and and um I just sort of that made me look into people like John Fox that made me look into people like Human League early Human League you know and all of the people that were making the same were making music at the same time as Gary but Gary was the first one to for it to really uh, it's kind of explode, and then because that then makes you explore other things, you know. I knew right from the start that electronic music was the thing that I loved, mm-hmm. as opposed to anything else, and dark electronic music as well. Yeah, definitely. I think there's there is that element running through your back catalogue of, mm. of darkness, which maybe we can talk about later. Mm. Um, yeah, I think Gary Newman, he 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 sort of 
it's it's the for me it's the use of like electronic electronic synths yeah with rock with guitars there's that fusion that is yeah i mean but, but even you know if you look at an album like for example uh, the pleasure principle you know in 79 you know no guitars no it just synthesizes the 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 odd um cello or whatever and acoustic drums live bass and that was it no choruses in any of the songs you know incredible when you think about when you actually think about that now you know it's it's mental because mm-hmm. you know, that was you know it sold millions and millions of copies continues to sell millions and millions of copies you know Definitely. so ahead of its time um but as i say you know people like john fox as well you know um I, when i bought replicas and then the pleasure principle and then i bought metamatic John Fox's Metamatic album again, really, really dark, stark, cold. It's very similar to the Pleasure Principle in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, that really, that yeah, it was just incredible. It's just like this light goes on inside your head, and you, know, you want to find more electronic music. You know, I was going out trying to find stuff by SPK and all you know, people, anyone that was using synthesizers. You know, in a cool way what I thought was a cool way cold way that was really what kind of floated my boat even at an early age because I'd be 12 then you know mm-hmm. so uh, yeah and that just developed and developed and you so you'd started a record collection then well I don't know about that but I'd, yeah I'd certainly you know I'd probably be saving my pocket money or you know I might have gone and done like a Saturday morning at my dad's place or something like that to to get some money and then I'd go out and buy vinyl on the Saturday and um, you know nine times out of ten it was somewhat weird mm-hmm. Cabaret Voltaire or something you know yeah yeah like left field sort of yeah. stuff stuff yeah. from yeah why why do you think that appeals to you I don't know I don't know um, similar I know you'll probably come on to this a bit later but um, electronic music for me kind of around about 82 you know, started to go a little bit um, twee and a little bit lightweight, and I, and I kind of started to lose interest in it a little, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not not lose interest in it, but find it more and more difficult to find stuff that I really liked. And I think tech when when I discovered techno, there was that missing link between, you know, when I I remember the first time I heard Energy Energy Flash by Joey Beltram. Um, at a club, mm-hmm. like, oh my god, what the f- what is the what is that noise? That I that's like a noise that Cabaret Voltaire were making, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. it was that that was like another that was the, my second wake up to to music, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think techno always had those experimental sounds mm-hmm. in, didn't it? And, Definitely, and certainly that early, you know, they call it. You know, it was called. It was kind of referred to as Belgian techno in the very late eighties, early early nineties. Acid House had passed me by slightly, um, but as I say, when hearing those early RNS records, you know, just uh, again that 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 was that was the start of everything. That was the start of my career, really. It mm-hmm. just came a lot later, you know. It's brilliant that you mentioned R&S because that was one of the record labels I wanted to ask you about mm. if you were into that sort of stuff yeah. because what, what a seminal record label that was. Incredible, incredible. You know, I mean, 
I've got yeah the memories and and uh, professional and pleasure you know memories of uh, all those great all those great records on that label and many more but that was the one that did it for me you know it was hearing Mentasm, Beltram's Mentasm and Beltram's Energy Flash they were the two the drugs probably helped but you know it was that absolutely um, I wouldn't be sitting in the studio with you now. Uh, if I hadn't have heard Energy Flash, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's how important that's it profound, was. Oh, profound I, would, yeah, I, I, I would be sitting. Uh, I wouldn't. You know, offering electric was just as important, but it didn't make me go into a career in music. Energy Flash is the reason I got into. Is the reason I became. That's a incredible, isn't it? Mm. Essentially, just a one one item, one piece of vinyl. Mm-hmm. That was, and like, I hope if Joey ever listens to this, he knows. He probably does know because I've told him a billion times. <laughs> but you know, it, that's how important that record was to me. That's incredible. Mm. That that must be also. I mean, imagine also the how how that record has spanned across the globe and inspired like so many people. You, yeah. I, I guess I guess the stage you're at now, you're you are in, in this like in essence doing what he's doing and planting the seed with a lot of people who go wow. This record, is incredible. <clears throat> well, I don't know. I mean, you never, <clears throat> you never ever think that about yourself, do you? Um, Probably not. I, <laughs> I definitely don't. Um, <laughs> but um, I hope so. That'd be lovely. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, so then, you, it, there's quite an interesting story I read in an interview where you said about going to Ibiza. Mm. You lost your job. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, this was um, well after, you know, hearing Energy Flash and. and uh, kind of experimenting with different forms of dance music you know I was in a boring job so Thursday Friday Saturday get wasted even on a Thursday night you know I'd go into work on a Friday still off my face and um, uh, you know do it again Friday and Saturday it's amazing absolutely Mm. amazing I mean there's a certain there's a certain uh, determination in that lifestyle. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and um, so, kind of experimenting with different types of dance music, and so I, I got into a bit of a pickle at the job that I was at, and um, they let me go. And and so I had about seven or eight grand in redundancy money, which back then was that's pretty good, pretty good, you know. Yeah. And um, I just thought, fuck it, you know, I'm going to go. Let's go to Ibiza. Let's all go to Ibiza. And uh, so took everyone. Uh, to Ibiza and and um, came up with nothing, absolutely nothing. You know, just just everything went. I was rubbing my nose or whatever, you know, and, and it was. But uh, again, that was another, uh, as well as the, um, you know, the drug side of it. It was, you know, again, it was a kind of moment where I'd sort of, you know, gone to some of the shitty house clubs. Thought, oh, you know, this is bullshit, you know, and 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 then went to um, Pasha, which is I don't know what it's like now, but mm-hmm. I went to Pasha and uh, Laurent Garnier was playing well before I got in, got got into music as a job, and um, he was uh, he was playing and and you know he was playing techno, it's like you know again not quite as um, profound as the energy flash moment which was in a warehouse in Leicester I think <laughs> a few years earlier but um, so I came back with nothing as I say I came back with nothing and I met this girl who uh, just happened to uh, happened to have a couple of turntables and um, 
you know, she would, I was so skint uh, that, you know, she would sort of buy me a few fags every day and everything was, you know, I was really in, in the shit and thinking, what, what the hell am I going to do? She had a couple of turntables and um, I just started messing around and I just found it really easy to, to beat match pretty much instantly. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, I'm, I like this, you know, it's good. So, um, I can't even remember how I managed to get by money-wise, but um, yeah, because I mean, buying records was another thing. I remember we used yeah. to save our, save our lunch money throughout like college, mm. like not spend two pound fifty or three quid every day for like weeks and weeks, yeah. and then go to Birmingham and I've just no spend idea. like sixty quid on I've, records. I've no idea how I, how I got by, but anyway, I did, and and then that kind of became that kind of became something that I wanted to do because I was buying all these records, you know, the techno, techno records and. Um, I'm just thinking. Oh, I want to. I'm going to. I'm going to give it a go, and, and uh, so that's what I did. I gave it a go, and I was just dead lucky that, um, you know, when I put my first record out in '98, I was just dead lucky that uh, it happened to sell well, and it happened to uh, sort of strike a chord with um, some people. And mm-hmm. how how did that happen? Did you did you set, were you sending off demos to them? No. Um, uh, I got together with a guy called Tony Thomas who uh, who sort of showed me the ropes in terms of um, uh, production uh, and sequencing. Um, and then we, I, 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 again, I, I can't remember, I, I, there was a distributor called Integrale back in uh, Birmingham and um, they might have not been called that then, but, uh, you know, Ben Sims was with them and... Uh, obviously, um, people like Surgeon and Regis were sort of doing stuff with them, and, and um, I, I think I just sent it off, and then then they got in touch and said, "Yeah, well, yeah, this is cool. We could put it on." So we just decided to do it on set up. Me and a guy called Paul Smith set up Advanced as a label, and um, yeah, that that it, as I say, it just took off. And I, somebody told me, I think it was um, it was either Umek or Ben or Ben or Ben Long or Jamie Bismar or something, just said. If you want to be working as a DJ, all you need to do is put your phone number on the on the label and say, for DJ bookings, call this number. So I thought, oh, I'll try that. That's good advice. And I did it, and the phone just started ringing all the time. And people people would just phone me up and just say, you know, Umek would phone me up and just say, oh, she fancy playing Slovenia and Croatia this weekend. Yeah, all right. And, then, <laughs> and, that, and, it, and it just built and built and built. That's incredible. What a great yeah. piece of advice. It's such a logical thing to say. Like, yeah. You know, just, just yeah. a phone number. Because it's sort of something enigmatic about a phone number rather than, I don't know, a website or an email address. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, uh, again, you know, me and Paul had started putting um, parties on as well. We, had, we, we set up a night called Fusion um, and uh, that was based in Nottingham. And we were dead lucky that we got a, a grant from the local council because it was sort of part of the Arts Council uh, grant because the lottery had just started. And um, so we bought Carl Craig and, and you know, we we we, we and Ninja Tune as well in the drum and bass room. So we just kind of like, and it just worked, you know. Mm-hmm. So again, we were dead lucky. That gave us the money to go and book people like Dave Clark and everything, you know. And then Dave started playing my records. And do you know what I mean? It just, it just... Built. You built momentum, nicely. Momentum, yeah, it just built, yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. So um yeah, I mean you you played a lot of sort of seminal nights. It would I mean, 
Yeah, you recently tweeted a thing about Global Gathering and the lineup that you mm. played with, yeah. which was Umek and Surgeon mm. and Ben Sims, yeah. and I've written down the list of the rest. Was it? Me and Surgeon uh, at that uh, Global Gathering, um, we uh, well, I I I, I was a little bit worse for wear and sort of <laughs> commandeered one of the golf buggies that I used to get. Out, out of, no one gave me permission. I went and picked Tony up from his tent or wherever he was, and. Uh, commandeered this uh, golf buggy and sort of got chased around by the security guards absolutely wasted I was in fear oh dear but yeah yeah Derek May was there yeah Speedy J mm-hmm. I mean they're all like seminal names in the techno scene aren't they though? they are yeah I mean Umek as well to me I think I probably came in a bit later to techno but I remember an Umek set from around 2003 that just two seconds in it just gets you going straight away. There's yeah. something that was so like bouncy and stuff, wasn't it? And, like, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, when you when you actually sort of, you know, someone like Umek, who, you know, he he is a superstar in in Slovenia, you know, and, and um, there were you know him and a guy called Valentino Canzioni, um, sort of back in the sort of early nineties when and late nineties when, you know, we were all doing so well out of it. Um, you know, and Umek's still going now. You know, mm-hmm. and um, you know. Umek is, you know, even though some of the the music that he makes now is not not necessarily for me, but you know, he was a massive part of that early sort of part of my DJ career. You know, he, he was making tracks that killer tracks. You know, Lanikor is one of his tracks that is just it's just ridiculous. You know, yeah, they were always like if ever you lose the dance, we'll just play Lanikor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you always need those go-to <laughs> yeah, records. Yeah, exactly. Lanicor. I, I, th- I think in my DJ career, I just never had those go-to records, right. so I just emptied the dance it floor was and that was it for the rest of the evening. And uh, Luke Slater's remix of Beltram's Fortlift, they were the two records you just like. That's easy. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, and of course, Surgeon's still going. Surgeon's still so, making I mean, music. You know, that guy, uh, you know, that guy's a genius. You know, I love I love Surgeon. He's brilliant. You know, I really, uh, I've got so much respect for him. Um the fact that he's maintained his um, career in the techno and and his standing as well in the in the techno scene, but also he's experimented with different forms of music like ambient stuff, <clears throat> industrial stuff, you know, and done really well, but still managed to just he's just kept everything going, you know. He's he's, he's fantastic, that you know, and and he's he's funny as well, you know. Really? He's a funny guy. Yeah, I really like him. Um, I don't see him very often, but. Um, yeah, quite a lot of time for him. Yeah, he's gone into the modular world, hasn't he? Like he when has, he plays yeah, now, can, he, it's it's yeah. fully modular. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which is a his new album. Itself. Yeah, his new album. I heard a few tracks from his new album, and it's all modular stuff. Yeah, brilliant. Well, that leads me quite nicely onto the scene in Birmingham and uh, House of God, which he used to play at. Did you um, Did you ever play House of God? I didn't ever play it because I would play because I was resident at Atomic Jam. Ah, oh, okay. Um, there was a bit of rivalry, friendly rivalry was there between, really? between the two, and and so um, I, I would never get booked for House of God because I was resident at Atomic Jam. <clears throat> um, but I went to um, House of God as a punter, uh, even after even after I'd become known, mm-hmm. you know, on the DJ front. Uh, I still, if I had a weekend off, I just wanted to go to a techno club. Yeah, get, you know, and get wasted and just dance, you know. Just, that's it. It was there was a there was a pretty good scene in Birmingham, wasn't there? I mean, you mentioned Atomic Jam, and I, I thought it would be impossible to come here and not talk about the mm. Q Club with yeah. you, which which was just the best venue I've yeah. ever been to. In my best life. nights of my life been at been at the Q Club, you know. 
I mean, so many, not just as resident DJ, but um, as a, you know, even before that, you know, I was going clubbing um, at to Atomic Jam, you know, long before I was resident DJ there, and it just, just the best, amazing nights at that incredible venue, mm-hmm. just, just fantastic. Yeah, um, just so people, for people who don't know what the Q Club is, it was old Methodist Church, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, with like With the organ and. Yeah, a huge main room, a huge main room, and then lots of labyrinths and corridors and stairwells all the way around the building, where there was people lying on the floor, there was Uh people partying, there was three or four other different rooms that you just happen across walking around. Incredible. Absolutely awesome, yeah, Yeah. I had some great nights in there. Yeah, Um, Brilliant club. Uh, Yeah, some of my best memories were in the Q Club. In actual fact, one of my friends lost his wallet in the Q Club. And I swore down to him that I would find it, and I fucking found his wallet in the cube. I'm not joking. In the main room, I was stood up looking around in the main room about sort of 10 or 15 minutes after saying, I'm definitely going to find it because he was, he'd really like started getting worried about it. Yeah. And I looked down, there was like a flash on the floor in front of me, and I just sort of walked down towards it and picked it up. And I was like, Holy shit, I've actually fucking found his wallet. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, you know, I have two like. Two massive memories from the Q Club. What the one is, um, one is playing with DJ Rush um, and Dave. Um, I think I was in between Dave and Rush, and nice. uh, it was wow. it was you know it was just one of those top, one of those nights. You know, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. Played a really good set, and it was just it was just great. And the other memory of it is probably a different night, but Princess Diana was killed on. The night of an atomic jam, right? So you can imagine, um, you know, being the worst for wear and everything, and and you know, being um, on something, and and then somebody came in and told me, just said, I I remember the words, it was just like, What I'm about to say to you, you know, it's gonna blow you, (laughs) Princess Donnie's been killed in in a car crash, Mm. and it was really, I really remember it really well. Just because of the fact that, you know, the sort of situation that it was, and, and yeah, it was just weird. Well, yeah, and also, yeah, I mean, let's also just mention Dave Clark as well, because Dave Clark is an absolute legend, and, and the, the times I saw him play at the Q Club as well, I don't think I've seen anyone so into their set when they're yeah. playing it, you know, he, he, what um, a guy. He's, uh, as well as Jeff Mills, he is the, um, he, as a DJ, in terms of style, and the way I liked to play he was the he was the benchmark mm. you know above everyone else in my opinion technically and um we just a, a sort of kinship in terms of um the sort of music we like to play that real jacking style you know and um he still i mean we work together now you know and he's he, he's um you know he's still he's still at the top of the game yeah 20 years later I mean that world service the world service yeah. discs he did were like seminal for me and my group of friends well, well again you know up. when he when he released world service you know he asked me to um, support him on the uh, Australia and um, uh, Asia part of the world tour that he did for world service so I was his like support DJ and you know he chose chose me because we'd play together at Atomic Joe and stuff <clears throat> and that opened up a whole new thing for me as well in in uh, in Australia and and you know Singapore Malaysia, um, and that really made me realise, crikey, you know, I find it, I found it, even though I I was pretty well established Europe, <clears throat> in Europe, and 
Brazil, you know, I still found it incredible that, you know, quite a lot of people had come out to see see me play, you know, even in Australia and, you know, yeah. Singapore, you know, just brilliant. That's brilliant. And I guess when you once you're established there you you can keep going back and yeah. and then word spreads around. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. That's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I would lo- I did want to ask you about where where DJ's taken you. You mentioned Brazil there. Mm. Um you also mentioned Colombia in an interview. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. I really love the play. I mean, the Brazil tour was fantastic. Not only did I really hit it off with the promoter there, we became really really good friends. Still it's did it so we still are really good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I played in, uh, you know, I played Rio with Godfather, DJ Godfather. Um, you know, I played a couple of times in Sao Paulo, played in Belém, which is right on the edge of the Amazon basin. Mm-hmm. Um, going, you know, flying back from there. I just remember, you know, flying back there with, in a 737 that was actually fucking leaking. <laughs> you know, water coming in. Like, fuck, you know. Yeah. Uh, and having a real terror, you know, real, fear of spiders as well and, and sort of playing in the Amazon Basin at this party you know that was that was weird but ridiculous uh, yeah. human. Um but you know even played it played it into Lagos you know where, where the Formula 1's held and uh, is that in is that the Formula 1 track in Brazil yeah right that's that's yeah. amazing you mentioned that because me and my friends were racking our brains yeah. to remember where the Brazilian yeah so, so, was, was. so um, into Lagos I think means big lake and um, so uh yeah, we had there was this party there, and uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. That that was brilliant. Colombia was great. Um, yeah, you know, Colombia was fun. Really enjoy um, South America, but just it's just taking me everywhere. You know, I've been been so lucky, really. You know, South Africa, Australia, you know, as I said, Malaysia, and it's just been you know it's great for for a long time. It was mm-hmm. it was really really good, and and sort of set me up not just uh financially but sort of uh set me up for i guess where i am now you know because i don't know whether i would have been able to maintain it the way dave's maintained it for example um mm-hmm. or whether i would have been able to maintain the interest even yeah know? yeah um that that's that's a big thing you know that um you know i, I made a techno record last year and just because i wanted to and uh you know it was kind of like going back to a kind of formula you know where it's with the film stuff that I'm doing now and the TV stuff you know or working with Gary you know it's far more experimental and yeah you know I guess you're not just trying to get people on the dance floor you know what I mean yeah and and I I suppose the thing with techno is it's sort of like a a loop and a groove yeah uh, that that's like detailed whereas with cinematic stuff it's more of a progression yeah from from one thing to another absolutely So you mentioned um, early on that uh, I read that you used Cool Edit Pro to like Did, get the tracks yeah. together. Yeah, that was well. I, was, I mentioned Tony Thomas earlier, so Tony was a whiz on Cool Edit Pro, and, and uh, so that's how I started. You know, the first um, few releases that I did were um, all done on on Cool Edit Pro, and it was just chucking samples in, mashing them up, editing. You know, and uh, that was it. That was how I did the the first lot. You know, mm-hmm. until I'd sort of um, could afford a better computer and you know maybe some instruments and stuff and and kind of learnt more and more and more really. Mm. Yeah. 
And so, how did you? Where did you progress then from Cool Edit Pro? What sort straight of gear did you pick yeah, up? Yeah, straight to Logic. Logic. Yeah, um, bypassed Cubase altogether. Can't even remember why I got into Logic uh, or how I got into Logic. Um, but um, yeah, and I'm still a Logic user now. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's good. Uh, mm. That's a good. Uh, t- yeah, it's a testament to logic that you, you I guess stay so, yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's been close a few times with frustrations, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, now I just think it's fantastic, you know. Yeah, it is good. I've always found it's brilliant for, like, automation and, and like, yeah. finessing automation yeah, and details. But, uh, I, I guess because I've got into the good. film stuff, um, the fact that it, it you know, I'm sure Pro Tools or whatever is just as good, but or, or perhaps better, but um, it's very, you know, the... the Synchronization for for doing film stuff is, is spot on, so um, mm-hmm. it's really important. As Definitely. well as the fact that I just know it inside out now, having used it for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just you don't even need the screen on. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. We've well, you've also we're sat in your studio now. You've got a really good selection of of outboard stuff. Um, more on the way. <laughs> is there more on the way? There is more on the way. Yeah, from Archeria. Bless them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, because I did. Would that be the Matrix Brute by any chance? It's actually the Mini Brute 2S that's coming, the one oh, with the sequencer. Nice. Um, and uh, Brian, who works for Arturia, he, um, he he basically wants me to sort of get into the the 2S because I love step sequencers. And mm-hmm. um, he's going uh, he, to... He knows that my Matrix Brute is something that I want. Yeah, because I did read that you were like, that was going to be one of your mm. next, one of your next things. Yeah. And now they're making great stuff. They are, yeah, and they're really really um, user-friendly as well. And uh, customer, you know, the customer service is great. I mean, again, you know, I am in a lucky position that, um, you know, people uh, sometimes give me things, which is really nice, you know. Um, uh, But some, you know, sometimes it's a case of, you know, you get given a few things and you kind of just forget them forget about it because it's either not that brilliant or whatever but mm-hmm. with um, companies like Archeria um, and Analog Solutions you know uh, who've been really kind to me you know you, you really want to go public and say really nice things about them because they're not just nice people the customer service is great and if you've got an issue same with their instruments as well you know on mm-hmm. the software side fab you know whereas That's if I had a problem with Logic I, I'm not sure it would be that easy to get hold of the right person at Apple, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I know people who use Ableton that are, like, pulling their hair out just trying to make keyboard shortcuts, and and uh, it's very difficult to give feedback. Um, so, yeah, what what you, you mentioned Analog Solutions. You have a lovely sort of suitcase synth here mm. um, called the Vostok. Um, so semi, se- semi-modular, three oscillators um, with the uh, pin matrix. Um which allows all kind of uh, modulation possibilities without the use of cables. It's a little bit like battlefields. You know, you just sort of stick the pin in. <laughs> yeah. So, again, um, the whole thing is is just encourages experimentation. And um, I find that... Uh, I, I mean, I use soft synths a lot, but, um, you know, I, I enjoy the noodle inside. I enjoy the experimental side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, you know, maybe setting logic up to record an hour's worth of stuff and I'll just play on that and see what happens same with the everything I've got really and and mm-hmm. just then I really enjoy that side of it and then go back to it and just go you know 
is 58 minutes of that is absolute shit. <laughs> that two minutes is amazing. I, I could certainly never relate to have that. been able to do that on a soft synth. <laughs> yeah, man. And I think what's great about this, it sort of has like it has that science laboratory look about it, doesn't it? It, it really doesn't does. Look yeah. like a... No, it really does. Um, and again, I've probably only just scratched the surface with it, really. Um, but um, it is great, yeah. Like, to the untrained eye, that could be something that intercepts military radar. Yeah, absolutely, I mean? yeah. It probably does. <laughs> yeah. There's probably planes above us now thinking, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, yeah you're, like, recalibrating their airspeed. Yeah. yeah, but again, you know, um, I, I, you know, the, the, uh, it's got eight-step uh, sequencer on it, um, again, which, which you can... Um, modulate enormously with uh, various stuff mm-hmm. so it's really great that I can sort of have 8, 16 however many steps firing off in logic in one key and then just you know setting that up so that it's just all coming up with all sorts of weird stuff and and, I, and, and as I say I really like I enjoy that sound design kind of side to it mm-hmm. sound design is, is giving me a much more glamorous kind of um, appraisal than actually what it is which is just experimenting hoping for the best and then being really lucky Mm -hmm. that's pretty much my career summed up really (laughs) yeah yeah Um, well yeah it's good that you say that because i think a lot of things get um they get like terms that that are attached to them like for example curating a knight now when you put a knight on it the knight's curated by someone whereas that that was not really a thing was it like 10 or 15 years ago it's just someone put the knight on exactly yeah and and it's sort of yeah, ABC of getting the DJs together, yeah. but now it's yeah sound design. Maybe it's, maybe it's sort of um, you know it sounds quite exclusive. Maybe it's putting a lot of people off just pissing about with the synthesizers. Quite possibly. I mean, um, but I think you have to. I think you have to enjoy that that side of it and not get too downhearted if you spend an hour recording stuff and nothing happens. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the way it is. Um, as a sound, I, I love step sequences. You know, I've got the Earthwork Pro there, which is uh, analog sixty-four step analog sequencer, and uh, you know I I love that thing. You know uh, that was the first uh, analog sequencer that I bought, and uh, I have that you know firing the virus mm-hmm. or the Blofeld or the analog keys or whatever, and it's just fab. You know, and uh, it, it just allows you to uh, just just experiment with without getting really pissed off you know mm-hmm. it really does and, and and that i really like that side of it i just you know i did a film score last year for a horror film called nails and um that you know just the, the having the Erzberg driving the virus and just recording loads of weird stuff you know that kind of was the, the whole background for the whole film for all of the music you know um, mm-hmm. and just recording having you know drones with barely anything going off running through the step sequencer um with loads of reverb and and just hearing what it was doing, you know, even what the the step sequence was doing to the reverb tail, you know, it was brilliant, you know, mm-hmm. really interesting. Uh, so it, it just created this really eerie world, you know, and uh, but that's fun, you know, that's really good fun. Yeah, I think for me the outboard is what, yeah, is, is the fun bit. I think yeah. if I'm sitting in front of a computer and and just using soft synths you don't get those sort of happy accidents and you don't, it, I don't know, it's less, the, the less tactile it is, yeah. like an iPad sort of synth, the less fun I get out of it. I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in a similar yeah. mindset. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think being in the film and TV world now, um, I guess the only issue is that everyone wants everything yesterday. 
you know, music's always the, the last thing that the producers or directors think about. Not always, mm-hmm. but most of the time, you know, and they always need it in two weeks' time. You know, please deliver thirty tracks for us in two weeks and all that kind of stuff. So you know, you kind of think, well, I've got time to sit there and experiment. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I try to do it as much as I can, just because I enjoy it, really. You know, definitely. And the blowfold's a great synth. I love all stuff. Yeah, yeah blowfold's a good synth. Um, uh, I bought that uh, a while ago. Um, Again, it's really good for the for the film stuff. You know, we use it, we've used it a lot on on the on TV film and TV stuff. Ha, the analog keys, uh, I've not I've used a bit, used a bit on Savage, but um, haven't uh, really experimented with it massively just yet. It kind of to me, first impressions are it's kind of geared towards dance music, mm-hmm. um, but I could be completely wrong there. Yeah, I think if you use it with Overbridge, it becomes a bit more accessible. Yeah, um, to be sure. That's why I have an issue in that my Mac is uh, one of the processes that it don't, they don't support. Ah, right. Which is fucking annoying. Yeah, I can understand that being annoying. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like menu diving is, is like you've Fetish. sort of got to learn a new language for yeah. each piece yeah. of gear, haven't yeah. you? And if yeah. it's prohibitive, then yeah. it, it does just actually Absolutely. become. Yeah, there yeah. The blowfold menu system is really easy. Mm-hmm. The virus system, the virus one is really easy. Uh, the virus is great. It's just glitchy, which is, uh, especially in um, TI mode. But um, yeah, you've mentioned the virus quite a lot, haven't? How, how long have you been using like the Access Virus? Well, form? the first one I had was the Access Virus B, and that was you know however long ago that I can't remember when I released my. Uh, solo album I think it was like 2007 or something like that and and that was my virus B and I think I'd been working with Gary a couple of years before that I think I produced Jagged in 2005 or 2006 and and the virus B was on that and then then we just carried on replacing them with newer models and and when I started playing with Gary in the band you know uh, this the virus was the first synth that I'd kind of used that could really replicate Brilliantly, and he actually adds something to the old terms that Gary was using. Yeah, I heard you mention that when you were touring. It was a Sonic State interview where you're talking mm. about it, and you and you say like, "This is the synth we're using for Gary's yeah. synth sound." Absolutely. So that must have been a cool moment to like find something that not only plays the sound but adds to it and is a modern version of it. It really is. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, the, obviously the the sort of the Gary even sound is the high string sound you know the car's high string sound which obviously everybody knows was Polymoog Vox Humana uh, preset but um, you know Gary didn't want to sort of take Polymoog on, on tour and kind of didn't want it to sound like a 1979 sound you know he wanted to sound like a, a modern version of it and uh, I think uh, you know once you've sort of fiddled with the virus for a, a couple of minutes you know the, the Newman string sound we use is I, we, I've used it on all four albums I've done for Gary so far, and and uh, it just works. Yeah, you know, love the, You know, I do really love the virus. It's a brilliant, brilliant synth. I just wish it wasn't so fucking glitchy. That's the only thing that really annoys me. Right? How does it? I, 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 it's one. That's one synth that I I have never used and I don't know anything about. So how does it glitch? What does it? Uh, just that if you use it in, uh, if you don't use it in TI mode, it's absolutely fine. Uh, if you use it in TI mode. By USB into into Logic. As soon as you have more than I don't know five or six plugins open in Logic, it starts to pop and crack. Oh, I see. Right. Um, none of my other synths do that. Uh, I just I like the fact that 
you know, a lot of the the key things are on the front. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why the Matrix Brute sort of kind of appealed to me because, you know, there's no menu system. It's all there. Yes. You know, and I like that about synths. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I've never understood is, you know, why uh, synth manufacturers, you know, take the Blofeld, for example. I mean, why have this whole black panel here on the right-hand side with nothing on it? Mm -hmm. Why not just extend that and use that bit? It doesn't make any sense. I can me. tell you that's but it's probably quite boring, just cost reduction, isn't yes, it? Yes, it probably is. Yeah. Um but yeah, I'm I'm exactly uh, with you on that one. I love synths where it's all there in front yeah. of you. Yeah. Which is why like I've spent a lot of time programming Max MSP patches yeah. Yeah. for things like the DX seven. Yeah. So instead of having to do all the menu button pressing to program the DX seven, you've essentially just got a synth with, you know, two hundred knobs in front of you and you can actually change them. Yeah. So I've spent Probably as much time making music as I have programming things like that to to get away from this, these blank spaces that are yeah. nonsense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've just noticed that at the bottom there you've got a Zoom Studio Two Hundred One. Yeah, that was that was the very very first effects unit I bought. No way! Uh, and it's it such was, a classic. Uh, and it was uh, recommended to me uh, for real dirt, gritty sort of dirty reverb sounds. And so when I first started making techno, that was the first thing that I bought. Brilliant. It does loads, doesn't it? It does pitch shifting, yeah. reverb, delay. Yeah. I think there's a vocoder, like a really rudimentary yeah. vocoder it's all, on it. It's all really rudimentary, the whole thing. You know? Yeah. It's, uh, but I, I never use it now, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Cool. It's always good to keep I, like, I've, the early... I've just sold, you know, yeah, as I said, I, yeah. as I said, I'm just doing all the thing. I've sold loads of gear and I'm, I'm now, even though I've, you know, I've still got more than enough it's kind of uh, whatever I buy now is something that I know that I'm going to use mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a mix engineer I don't need loads of outboard compression because the mix engineer I use is a genius and he's far better at it than I am so why would I spend two grand on a on a, uh, on a on a compressor when I can spend two grand on something else yeah definitely it's definitely. brilliant you know why uh, and so you know like I said the the uh, the Mini Brute 2S that's coming, I will use it every day, you know, and, and that's the thing, really. So they are yeah. awesome. The Arturia yeah. really stepping up their game. Um, I think, yeah, the, the boiler that Dave Clark sold me that really, yeah, and that is very rare. Uh, compressor that's the only compressor that I kept, um, used by all sorts of different people. Um, brilliant drum compressor, nice, and I've uh, never course, seen it, yeah, it's a very and this uh, Eventide Eclipse. Uh, I've had, that was very expensive, but I've had that many, many years, and um, it's the best reverb unit on the planet. Mm -hmm. And um, I've used it on every film score, every TV uh, show that I've done, every Gary Newman album, every everything I've ever done. It's got that all over it. I did have that. My second question in the studio is going to be about the reverbs because the reverb on. on I was listening to Savage and the reverbs fantastic. I yeah. really want it. Was it from? There's that? two things. One, the one, yeah, well, two things. One is the it's the Eclipse, which is this is incredible. Um, you know, it's so beautiful and pristine, which you expect from even time. Obviously, when you sort of pay three grand or whatever it is for for. A, you know, one U effects unit. You expect it to be good. You know, yeah, um, you hope so. <laughs> yeah, but um, and also Nathan, who makes Savage. You know, uh, he's a lot of Picasso reverb, and um, you know, so when we when we'd mixed when we went to mix Savage, Nate would run um, either the vocals or whatever through some of the outboard 
um, mainly uh, Bricasti reverb that he uses, and uh, yeah, that's what that's kind of what happened. They sound great. They sound really yeah, they sound really good. Yeah, lovely. Cool. So um, yeah, I, I, I sort of really admire your approach because I do know people who've got studios that are rammed full of gear, gathering dust or not using it. So it's 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 quite you know you obviously have a very strong focus on what you want. Yeah, and everything having yeah, a function. Yeah, I, like I, I did have a mixing desk, but again, I never use it. What is the point? You know what I mean. So I just thought I'm going to get rid of it, and I bought the Presonus fader port, mm-hmm. and I use an iPad for you know. Uh, and just have that going with uh, Logic Remote. Nice. And um, I've got a new desk coming, so I'm gonna, all of the stuff that's in my rack is going to be in, in front of me. Oh, brilliant! <coughs> and uh, that's going to this rack's going to go, and then that side is going to be for the for the 2S and the Matrix Group eventually. Excellent. That's it <laughs> no for more. now. We well, obviously got a, like a lot of self-discipline. Uh, I just got boxes and boxes of shit under my bed. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, I just also wanted to recommend. I don't know if you've ever played with a Vermona Performer. It's a great synth, such a great synth. Vermona make really, really nice synths. I know it well, but you know, but um, the Performer's yeah, really incredible. Okay. Honestly, if you can ever just have a go on one, do I'll get do in it. touch with them. Get in touch with them yeah. because it's the one synth that um, I've played with in the last sort of five or ten years that I was like, I'm, I just have to buy one of these. And yeah. anyone who I know who does film scores or soundtracks, yeah. I'm just say, just try the Vermona Performer. Okay, sick. It's got so many. Yeah, like, I will. <laughs> yeah, cool man. That's great. Ah, yes, uh, Andy. There's a guy um, who works for a company called Antec. Yeah, down Andy. in the south yeah, coast. Yeah, Andy, yeah. Who I gave an M- a Korg MS22 of mine, which I'd knackered. Yeah. And he said that he knew you quite well. He then. does, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, but when I was in uh, Gary's band and managing Gary for a while, uh, he, Andy was our sort of—he's our saviour, you know. The, the, we've had a couple of viruses go wrong. You fix those. Some of Gary's old gear, the mini moogs, one of the original mini moogs that Gary had. Um, it was uh, a completely, you know, it was completely grass growing out of it and all sorts and, and Andy fixed it properly fixed it good guy Andy yeah really nice guy sort yeah. of low key guy but he's yeah. I mean he's so I admire his skills so much yeah likewise I mean, I mean if you admire him then he must be a geek yeah yeah definitely definitely in a good way you know, yeah, you're a geek yeah, yeah. in a brilliant way I'm a geek you know great. definitely definitely I did once just talking about knackered equipment I did once try and fix an electronic organ when I was in India right and it turned out there's a frog inside the organ. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what was wrong with the virus. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, so let's go into talking about Gary Newman and, hmm. and you working with him. Yeah. Um, so you've worked with him on four albums now. Yeah. Which must be... Did that start off as a surreal experience for you? It's uh, it, it's absolutely. I mean, it's kind of it's six if you include the film score that we did from inside, and uh, also he guested on my uh, album uh, in two thousand seven. Um, I mean, yeah, of course, you know, um, I, you know, I said before on interviews that um, the very first day that Gary sent me the vocal stems to a track called Scanner that was on Jagged. Um, it was just you know it was, it was, I remember sitting in the studio fucking hell 
I'm actually working on this track. You know, <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, if you if you sort of if you're a 12 year old lad and and you've got posters of Gary Newman on your wall, and then however many years later you're producing one of his albums, I mean, you can imagine. Yeah, I mean, it must it's be still phenomenal. Great. Yeah, it is, and it, and it's still you know it's still you know massively rewarding. We just we've got ourselves into a position where we. Uh, we really trust each other musically and uh, he knows that if I change something it's because I think it's for the best it's taken a while to, for us to get to, to that stage but he'll always give me the opportunity to cast my own ear over it or maybe hear something slightly differently and uh, we, yeah I mean Working, working with him is—it just feels right. It just feels natural. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that feeling with one other person, um, and that would be Trent Reznor. But uh, yeah, but who you have toured with, haven't you? you toured oh, with I don't know about toured with. You know, I don't we, know. We, 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 well, okay. I guess yeah, we did a few shows, okay. uh, and uh, again, that was a ridiculous uh, experience. <laughs> uh, uh, even more ridiculous was when Gary sang at the O2 and sang metal on stage at the O2 with, you know, it's like Gary, you know, one of my best mates up there on stage singing metal with Nine Inch Nails. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a moment. Yeah, <laughs> really. definitely, definitely. And uh, so, so yeah, but so yeah, of course, yeah, working with Gary is uh, a stupendous kind of experience. Again, you know, that whole thing about. Uh, you, you take certain turnings in your life, don't you? You know, and uh, stepping away from the techno thing, even though I miss it massively, I miss DJing like you wouldn't believe. But uh, taking that sidestep and then eventually working with Gary, you know, I mean, it's been you know massive sort of reason why I'm still managing to make a living out of it. I yeah, guess, you know. and it's obviously also a testament to your production skills. Your, well, they've got better. They just yeah, they just continue to get better, don't they? You know, I mean, for everyone, not just for me, but you know, I think the better, the more it's like the old saying, isn't it? The more the practice, the better you get, and and it's the same with production, you know, mm-hmm. and also learning from other people and, and always being willing to learn from other people. Um, you know, I'm fifty now, and and uh, I'm still learning all the time about. Uh, from people like Nathan, who's younger than me, mm-hmm. who's way cleverer than I am, you know, uh, certainly on the mix front anyway, and uh, just learning. In fact, I've stopped learning from, from Nathan because I you just go, do. do you know what? Just fucking mix it. And I don't want <laughs> do to know. Imagine? I don't want to know what your threshold and ratios are on that compressor. I just want you to make what I'll give you sound better. Mm-hmm. And he does every, every time. Um, but, and then when you have. Uh, you know, I work with a guy called Tim Slade now, who uh, you know, amazing musician. You know, and he'll come here. He's got his double bass. He brings here. He brings his cello. You know, he brings his bass. He brings his guitar, and, you, and he'll just. Yeah, fuck, you know what I mean, I'm useless. You know, you know, I couldn't. Yeah, you I mean, know, but everyone's got skills in different areas. Exactly. Guess, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, you just get better as a. The more and more you do something, I, I do think you, I do think you get better as long as you're willing to. Uh, always be open to to learning uh, mm-hmm. or, and accepting that many many other people are better than you at certain things. 
so you can try and get better at something you know absolutely yeah i think it's um i think it's important for people to like ask questions you know absolutely like um yeah. some people are too apprehensive or maybe they want to appear like they know it's know yeah. everything yeah so yeah um, you know I, know I i was like that you know i was like that completely uh, but i'm not like that now at all you know uh and i think that's to the i think that's allowed me to learn uh and just become better at what I do you know I think uh, I think if you listen to you know the albums I've done with Gary you know they've just they've just gotten the sound quality has just gotten better and better and better and better and that's down to just learning really you know mm-hmm. and, and everything you just become better at what you do definitely and yeah. I guess defi- uh, refining that the yeah. process of, of making it yeah. so yeah you've worked on on four sort of of musical albums with him yeah um, let me just get to the right page hold on a minute yes you've done four albums and and in Savage you are the producer of that album yeah that must be such an amazing thing well yeah I mean uh, this one came about slightly differently in that uh you, you, when we did Splinter, for example, you know, Splinter took eighteen months. Um, with Savage, me and Gary had had a little break from one another, and um, you know, we were both just working on different things. And and um, so when we got back together, I think we were both slightly apprehensive about whether this, whether it was going to, you know, the, the old magic was still going to be there. Uh, and from day one, it was, you know, instantly, uh, and. We we managed to start to finish in less than six months, which for us is is just ridiculous. You know, we would never. None of the other albums were like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was just a focused drive, you know, that we both had. You know, uh, and of course, when when it when we found out that it had got to number two in the charts, we found out before a few hours before the public found out, and uh, you know, we'd had a call from. Uh, the record label and, and the record label had, had told Gary that you know, it, it, you know it's the, we've been keeping an eye on the mid midweek chart position and mm-hmm. then you get updates from from the record uh, com- from the record company and uh, I think there was a couple of days to go and I think Gary had said I, you know I don't want to know now you know because um, we were just expecting it to slip down to you. we both said if it goes top 10 we'd be really happy because Splinter had gotten to number 20 yeah so yeah so that yeah, was top yeah. 20 fucking brilliant Wh- which was his first top 20 hit for 20 years wasn't yeah, yeah it, that's that right and then and then of course on the Friday when uh, when we had this news uh, BMG the label uh, it just said get, get, get yourselves down to the uh, to the office and, and you know it's just just a one of the best moments uh, of my life, really, you know, and just sort of me and Gary walking into this room, every single employee from BMG, fucking big company, <laughs> uh, clapping us as we go in, and you know, my name is Room Video is on the big video screen, everybody's clapping champagne. <laughs> what can you say? You know what I mean? Brilliant. And then you know, three or four hours later. I come home and I'm wiping shit out my baby, <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, my yeah. baby sounds nappy. Do you reality. Know what I mean? That's the reality of life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's amazing. And uh, what's funny, you talk about the process in, in Savage of putting it together yeah. and um, sort of Gary emailing you at 6am on the day that yeah. the mastering's meant to be finished yeah. with some changes Yeah, to well, make. we were booked in with Matt Coulter, the mastering engineer, uh, at 9 o'clock. And uh, at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, Gary's emailing me and then I phoned him. We were in the same hotel, obviously, and... and uh, we need these changes making, you know. He he was just saying, what you know, I'm I've just listened to the version four or whatever, and and now I'm listening to version ten, and I miss some of the things that are in version. What the fuck, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So we're both panicking. Nathan body is having a nervous breakdown because <laughs> I'm on the phone to him at six thirty in the morning saying, "Mate, we got to get into the studio," uh, and we were still giving Matt new versions even whilst he was mastering the first tracks you know we're still having these little revisions done but that's what it's like brilliant just yeah. the way it is that's finessing it and yeah. getting it right yeah yeah definitely definitely it's really good um so the, and the way you worked together was quite interesting on savage the way that you're working cause sort of quite a very mo- a modern modern sort of um, yeah i guess so process. i mean uh it is although um it's just become that way we both prefer our own space in the studio we both prefer prefer the uh, to be comfortable in experimentation be comfortable in getting something wrong sometimes if you're in the studio with someone it's it's uh, you know sometimes you're a little bit restricted if you're working with someone in the studio because you don't want to make yourself look a twat <laughs> you know what I mean uh, it doesn't matter we Gary now because we so we take the piss out of each other relentlessly so it, it wouldn't matter and, but it, we just prefer that space mm-hmm. of, of sort of working remotely and obviously the fact that he lives in Los Angeles now makes it impossible unless we're going to I'm going to move into his house for, for six months you know it's kind of like makes it impossible but it's just the way that we work and it just it just works really well and technology now has allowed us to you know Dropbox and FaceTime have allowed us to even exchange projects in real time you know yeah, it's a very powerful thing, isn't it? And I guess listening to it in your own space, yeah. you, you, you get um, a very good sense of perspective on it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, so he sends you MIDI, he would send you MIDI yeah. files? <coughs> yeah, he sends me, uh, yeah. So he'll send me uh, all of the audio files and all of the MIDI files for everything. Everything's labelled. He sends me a list of what's what. Uh, we'll have a little chat about uh where he wants it to go, where he wants the demo to go, uh, and uh, bust that, and, and and he just lets me get on with it, and then I just and then I, uh, I, 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 I'm never so arrogant to go, I'm going to rip this apart and then send it to him and hope he likes it. <laughs> I'll always say, what do you think about you know maybe having these really? There's a track on the album called uh, the End of Things, and and you know it was the the demo that Gary sent, you know wasn't quite as tribal and, and so I said well what about sort of having this really big thunderous cinematic toms on the chorus and he just said yeah yeah try it and, uh, and it just again it was just one of those things that kind of worked and that's how we we work you know it's mm-hmm. how we work uh, there were only two tracks on the album that we no there wasn't there was only one track on the album that we had to change and we, and it, we you know, I tried something didn't work we went back to the original idea and and uh, Brilliant! It's ridiculous, really, when you consider, <coughs> you know, how how much kind of work went into it, really. Definitely. Well, it's a superb album. It's really, it's really fantastic, and you've you fused that cinematic, epic, 
I think that's epic yeah, side to it. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously Gary's done a billion interviews about uh, the to- the uh, subject matter and everything. Um, but you know, to be quite honest, when when we first worked on the first song, which was Better Thorns, uh, Gary had had that demo lying around for quite a while. I think he was kind of like toying with the idea of using a fresh producer and uh, it just, you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, that, that didn't happen. And and then, as I say, uh, it, you know, we, we it, it just, I don't know, there's just, there's just a kind of like a, a spark um, and, you know, Bed of Thorns was, the, as I say, the first track I worked on and, you know, within a second, within a minute, it was, you know, kind of. I think he felt it. I felt for, he felt it as well. You know, because I was so excited about it, and he was really chuffed and everything. And and, and it just uh, we we had no intention at that point of it becoming uh, an album about you know, like a post-apocalyptic album. It, it, and we had no intention of it being purely electronic, which which it was. No kind of acoustic drums on it, for example. Only electronic drums. Uh, it, it just happened. It just happened really quickly as well. And everything I was sending him, he just loved it. And all this, he, and that makes him excited. And he st- sends back even better songs. And then things happen, like Persia singing on one of the tracks and all that kind of stuff, you know. And it just works. I really, I really like the story of you were talking about like microphones with Gary, because yeah. um, he was using an SM58 with a sock on it. Sure, yeah, he, lost, <laughs> he lost his pop shield. Yeah, yeah. I love that story. That I can really relate to that situation. I love that Gary Newman is also in that situation. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, we, we've sort of uh, reverted into the Songtronic Saturn now. And, Everything sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, um, I think you have you. Am I right in thinking you've used these mics for quite a while? I have no, Yeah, on. I used them on uh, Splinter as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're really good. Brilliant. What is it that you like about them? Just the clarity, and uh, you know, I, I, maybe it's uh, uh, because I'm used to receiving vocals with uh, recording on an SM58 <laughs> with a sock over it. And then when I got the Saturn, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Amazing moment of clarity. I don't know, but uh, it's just great, and I use it for you know when we're uh, rec- when me and Tim are recording strings. You know, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. It sounds great all the time. Nothing, I don't think I've ever done a recording with it where it sounds shit. Brilliant. Yeah, that's incredible. I might look into that. I think that's one area of expertise I don't have is microphones. So um, yeah, likewise. Uh, and again, that was an intro from the guy called Andy Gray, uh, who, who worked with. Uh, uh, the guys at Sontronics and just recommended it and just said uh, it's fucking amazing on vocals give it a try try it that was it mm-hmm. and uh, you also recommend I recognise the speakers the PMC is yeah. it 228 uh, these are 228s they are absolutely incredible yeah they look pretty good <laughs> I'll give you a blast in a bit <laughs> cool yeah I think it, it's, it is really important to get good monitors isn't it for anyone making music um, you can compromise and get some £10 speakers off of Gumtree but you're not going to be able you're not going to hear well, the, the details the, you know, the you? money I spent on those uh, which uh, again you know because I have this I have this thing where uh, 
I always sort of think if I'm going to spend a certain amount of money on something, what else could I buy? You know, and that's why I said about the compressor. Mm-hmm. So when I spent the money on that again, PMC were lovely to me and very kind in terms of discount and stuff. Um, but uh, again, it was Nathan that kind of said, you know, it is going to change everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it is the be- probably that and the acoustic treatment in the studio as well. You know, all the all toys are lovely and everything, but get you, get, mon- get good monitors and get good acoustic treatment and get it right. Uh, as you'll hear in a minute, uh, it, it just changes. You know, it changes the way to, just to be able to hear every everything mm-hmm. uh, means that you can make albums like Savage and, and actually pay great attention to the finest little details because you can hear them. Yes, yeah, yeah, and I suppose if you haven't acoustically treated the room, you may well get resonant frequencies or things that are colouring yeah, your your absolutely. hearing. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think again, that's another contributing factor. Uh, to uh, to Savage, you know, is uh, and Splinter really uh, is is just uh, you know, the equipment gets better, technology gets better, uh, and everything, you know, if because you're not using a million pound studio or whatever, uh, you know, you kind of you have to make sure that what you do is is um, as close to it as it possibly can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing I've noticed over the years is like a decent set of monitors really sets you up. Yeah, you can you can. Yeah. Well, I've had the PMCs now um, for about four years, and they are incredible. Cool. Um, just going into a couple of the comments and things I wrote down while I was listening to Savage. I think the one of the things that makes music cinematic or makes it sound good is like the stereo field. You've got a really good sort of. Um, grasp of of the stereo field, you know when when uh, yeah in the, in the production of the tracks. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I a can't lot. take all of the credit for that thing. You know, again, Nathan Body, uh, he, uh, he he you know his expertise in geekery and uh you know explaining to me about different forms of mixing and stereo placement and you know it, even not relentlessly take the piss out of him for it you know again it's that thing about learning and listening and, and everything and experimenting you know uh placement uh placement and everything is really is really kind of uh, important but it's also having the um having the, the the willpower to to actually sit down and and methodically and this is what i do did it with splinter as well work out which sound is going to go where mm-hmm. and just just go that extra mile into how stuff is going to be placed and what that particular even if it's just a little bleep what's it going to sound like in that in that side yeah and how's that going to affect what's going on on that side is it going to really annoy the listener if there's something going on in you know and and that to me you know that that's kind of really important again splinter was the was the album um where i really really got into the whole kind of programming and sound design stuff for that and um and placing place placing stuff and then it just expanded with savage i think mm-hmm. yeah it's incredible it's so immersive and those those details are like interesting for the mind aren't they you, you, yeah it's you're not really 
it, it creates more of an intent listen when you're yeah. listening to it. It's less of a passive yeah. thing. You almost feel part of it. Exactly. I mean, you know, Splinter was a far more kind of a aggressive album probably than um, than Savage. Um, Savage again just kind of became this spacious kind of cinematic album uh, with you know hints of aggression um, or you know certain songs would be aggressive, but for us, particularly for Gary. Uh, to allow sp- space in some tracks, you know, tracks like "And It All Began with You" or um, "Broken" or whatever, um, just allowing that space, and and that again is probably something Gary hasn't done, and I haven't done at all, probably mm-hmm. ever. You know, it, it, everything has to be a fucking aggressive. You know, we want everything. We're going to be fun, perform this stuff on stage. We want to be fucking rocking out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas with Savage, it was more of a it was it was more appropriate to uh, to do that, and then, of course that allows you to um, to have space in the spectrum. You know, that allows you to uh, uh, be a bit more uh, brave with or bold or whatever with um, which sounds go where. And um, we wanted it to be cinematic. You know, when mm-hmm. it beca- when it when it became the album of you know Gary's unused stories from his book and everything, and it became the sort of post-apocalyptic thing. Um, it had to be cinematic, you know. You couldn't do like a sort of Aphex Twin album, you know, based on based on that, you know, in our opinion, you know. And it was still, but it was still very important that it sounded like a Gary Newman album. Definitely, definitely. and I think that's why he, apart from uh, the friendship and the professional respect and everything, I think um, the fact that because I was a fan for so long, he knows um, I have a fan's perspective on it as well. And so I know as a fan, I would want a Gary Newman album to sound like a Gary Newman album without sounding pastiche. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of know how to do that. Yeah. And that, that's, I think that's quite an important part of it as well. Definitely. And, and yeah, and take it forward and breathe new life into it as well as respecting what's, what's, what's been done. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you've definitely done that. There's definitely, that's the intention. Like, there's iconic tracks on this album. There was, there, there's definitely. Obviously, my name is Ruin mm. is iconic, and it was sort of like the big single. Um, yeah, when the world comes apart as well, I've just written a classic sound because it is just like it, it's almost like you know it, but while it's playing, you know, you hear it for the first time, and and you know that song, mm-hmm. you know, it's brilliant. Um, also, like the use of distortion is really good throughout the album, and and, and in mm. fact, the f- it starts off with a distortion, distorted sound, doesn't it? There's mm. a, um, yeah, yeah I mean, a, you, you embracing know, be, the... because um, obviously being a fan of uh, aggressive industrial music, um, my, my sort of uh, you know my thing many years ago was just to sort of turn everything up to eleven and and, and just <laughs> you know, but um, which I still love doing, of course, but um, you know just controlling it and, and everything, and uh, again. Uh, it's, again, just comes back to that thing about learning, you know, learning about sound toys decapitator, and, you know, what sounds best, and obviously the, the Sherman as well. You know, yeah, the, we can't go without mentioning the Sherman filter bank which mm-hmm. you have there. Was that used on the Sav- Savages? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sav- Savage. Yeah, it's a beast, isn't it? It is. It is a beast. Yeah, it's um, got quite a lot of sort of inputs, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. tremendous amount of inputs. Yeah, yeah. 
And even the name is sort of military-esque, like, again, it could be yeah, something that's... Yeah, the, the logo on the front kind of says it all. <laughs> you know, protect your ears at all times. You know, always make sure the trim level is right down before you start doing anything, otherwise you damage your hearing. Um, nice. But, again, it's just about controlling it, really, I think. Reining it in. Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Um, yeah, it's an awesome album. Thank I mean, you. there's lots of layered instrumentation, which is really good. Um, I like what God intended, sort of quite mysterious, sort of spacey. It's almost like I don't, I don't know if I've totally misinterpreted it, but it's almost like it's post-apocalyptic, and at that point, there's a there's a journey away from the planet. That's sort of what how I interpreted. Well, that. I get the the lyric side of it is is one hundred percent Gary. So um, I don't know, but um, just t- sonically again, sonically, it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, even that was just. Um, uh, putting some drum grooves together um, and just kind of we, we wanted it to kind of stay on one level in terms of the groove all the way through you know with different layers here and there but pretty much stay on one level but then all the instrumentation kind of starts to build and build and build and build but, the, but that groove stays the same um, so it wasn't intended ever to have like a chorus or whatever it was just having that uh, really heavily electronic feel to it uh, again, there's a lot of distortion on that track, but it's very kind of uh, crispy, um, hi-fi distortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so yeah, maybe all right, maybe I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> it's diffi- when you when you <laughs> when you've listened to something a gazillion times, it kind of like um, uh, yeah, yeah, you can lose focus on what it was really. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, like the horn horn sections are really good. They just add so much weight, don't they? Mm. But the other thing that's really important to say is that Gary's voice, he he recently turned 60, didn't he? Yeah. His voice is as strong as ever. And uh yeah, the track and it all began with you uh is, you know, essentially just him singing a cappella for 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 a good few minutes. Pretty much. Uh, his voice sounds incredible, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean um when uh, when I first started working with Gary on Jagged um, Gary uh, Gary's a certain frequency that Gary's got a problem with his, with his hearing mm-hmm. and he mixed the first uh, that album Jagged and um, so because of the problem he was having with his hearing um, he, he, he didn't sound as um, uh, didn't sound as, as clear as it probably could have done which we, which we are going to go back to at some point and, mm-hmm. and do a new version of it. Oh, brilliant! Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, but um, you know, I so Gary's tendency would be to bury his vocal within the music. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I said to him because he was so unsure about unconfident about his about his vocals, but he I said to him and Gemma, his wife as well, just kind of like, but that's what. That's what the fans love about you. The fact you know it doesn't matter that you're not, you know, the best singer in the world or whatever. It's your voice. It's not about how you sing. It's just it's your voice, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, and it is another. It's another instrument, and it's the main instrument. And so I just kept creeping and creeping the vocal level up as much as I could, and, and now that's become the thing. Whereas you know, and having Gary's voice sitting right on top of the mix. Um, yeah, you know, it's real kind of really important, and and again with Savage, it was massively, massively important, and yeah. he's just become more and more confident with, you know, he even, he'll even sing in front of me now in the studio, which was unheard of before, you know, because really? he's 
got a newfound confidence. I'm not saying oh, that's because of me. It's not at all. But it, you know, it, it he knows now. Mm-hmm. He understands. Yeah, I think we all need that sometimes in tracks, don't we? Some, a friend or, or someone will listen to a track you've done and say, "Oh, then you need to turn that element up way more." You know, like everyone has absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, always absolutely. good to get someone else's yeah. opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we still have. You know, look, I mean, we still have disagreements all the time. We, you go into, of course, you are. Um, so he'll say, "I want more delay on that," and I'll go, "No, <laughs> no," because then it's just going to sound like you know a stadium track. So we'll just be in the middle or, or whatever, or we'll just come up with a different uh, solution. It just, um, you know, yeah, but I'm glad that he's kind of listened and, and, you know, now it's just because so many people and so many reviewers of the records or whatever have said how great his voice sounds. Um, you know, again, he's, it, that's the confidence is, is kind of back. And, mm. and obviously with an album <clears throat> like Savage receives kind of so well, and doing so well commercially, um, I think a big part of that is the fact that you know his voice is is the main thing. He's the main feature. Definitely you know, the production and how you know how, fiddle, how clever I, I can try and make something sound is really not that important. You know what's important is that, you know the song and his vocals. That's got to sound great, and then we'll work on the rest after that. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how I do it. Doing, yeah. We're just working on a new track for him now, and the first thing I do is the vocal. Mm-hmm. You know, I do all the editing, uh, and then get the vocal sounding right, and then I'll start building all the track. Excellent. So it's like the roots of it, yeah, from the vocal Absolutely. and then outwards. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good way to work. Really, yeah. Isn't it? You know, I spent yesterday um, just editing the vocals, and and then just this morning I was I was just EQing and stuff, and then just getting them to sound good, and then uh, and then I'll start working on everything else. Excellent. Uh, you mentioned you were working on a different version of, of Savage. Well, we just we on Jagged. On Jagged. Oh, sorry, different version of Savage. Yeah, so we're doing um, a super deluxe version of uh, Savage, which is going to be um, uh, three new tracks, three new songs, uh, including a new single. Uh, and uh, that's also going to feature a DVD um, and other things, uh, which I think is going to be out as soon as I finish the production um, and I'm also uh, mixing the the live recording that they did from um, Brixton Academy as well oh superb mm. so that's going to be part of the package amazing yep so uh, it tempted with 5.1 um, it's been suggested before you know uh, I'd be up for it yeah but uh, I'm you know it, again it just comes down to time mm-hmm. and the fact that um We'd have to get another mix engineer uh, to, to to look at it in five point one. I'm still not massively convinced about five point one, apart from a few examples. But um, uh, maybe it would work brilliantly with Savage, don't they? Yeah, I think it, it's one of those things. If it became the norm for everyone to have a five point one yeah. setup, yeah, music would. Yeah, I mean, it would it would change everything. It's such an immersive experience. Yeah, but yeah, I just sort of was listening to the album. I'm like, wow, fuck. It's not many times I think our oh, 5.1 would be great, but yeah, yeah for that one, definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah, you you mentioned about always having a backup plan yeah. if if you want to make a career out of music, and I think that's really good advice. 
in general because it's it is quite difficult to to craft a career out of it, isn't it? It is nowadays, yeah. You know, the you know the arse has fallen out of um, different uh, avenues, uh, revenue streams. Um, again, it, that was another kind of one of the reasons that I, as well as really enjoying it, sort of decided to pursue a career in film and television because it, you know it's still um, reasonably well paid. Um, and there's no age limit to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, take someone like John Williams, for example. You know, as a composer, you know he, he you know, he's still going strong at ninety or whatever he is. You know, and uh, that's great. Um, so, whereas if you're sort of um, a seventy-year-old record producer producing a twenty-year-old band, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure that. That's going to happen so much, but maybe it's slightly out of touch. Yeah, but, it, it, but it, yeah, but it is very, very difficult now that you know music is effectively available for free most of the time, uh, and the artists make fuck all out of it. You know, um, it, it's um, it's very, very hard, very hard. Whereas before, you know, you could have a reasonably decent, career, you know, career um, doing something, um, even if you're not making a fortune. Now you can't even sell. Records and and uh, uh, unless you're Madonna or, or whatever, uh, or Katy Perry or whatever, you, you, you're not going to have the luxury of being able to go and record an album or spend twenty five grand recording an album with a producer or whatever. Yeah, you know like, what I mean, that, like Pink Floyd just having Abbey Road for that, six months. Yeah, or that, something. It, it, that really bothers. Yeah, that really bothers me. You know that, that eventually. And it's it's all walks as well. It's not you know it's the it's the, the behind the scenes as well. You know it's like the corporates taking an extra ten percent out of composers making music for television or whatever on top of the forty percent that they already take. You know and all that kind of stuff. You know eventually you keep taking all of the money out of it and you're not going to be many anybody left mm. because no one could be able to afford. You know, if you see your PRS statement going down all the time, where it should be going up because you're making more and more music, you know, because everybody, everybody's the corporates are all taking their their share of it. It's gonna it's gonna end up with a real problem. You know? Yeah. And so, yes, going back to your original question, having a backup plan is uh, is very is very important. I haven't got one, <laughs> um, but. Um, if I was a newbie starting out now, then I would absolutely try and make sure that I had one. Mm-hmm. And maybe also like stick to your your own path and your own interest. And I think so. Yeah, craft, carve your own. I think thing. so. Yeah, you know, I'm not trying to be John Williams. I know what I'm all right at, and um, I do. You know, I know now that people come to me because they want, you know, uh, a certain sound, and and that's what I'm good at. Um, and so stick to um, I'll stick to that. I'm still diversifying all the rest of it, but um, um, I decided, you know, I'm not. I think the other thing is as well because I've never had the, like this massive desire to be an artist. I've always been quite happy, you know, being the producer or being the composer whose name's just on the credits without being at the front. Of, mm-hmm. You know, that, that's cool. You know, I'm all right with that, and that's that's good. Um, so eventually there'll be a point where people will just go I just can't afford to make music for a living anymore um, and, and you know I have to have a proper job mm-hmm. so yeah have a backup plan is a good idea yeah 
Yeah, uh, as I say, unfortunately, I don't have one, so hopefully everything keeps on going okay. Yeah, I don't think you need one to be honest. <laughs> I think you've crafted and forged a very good career. And, um, Cheers, mate. Yeah, you've been stratospheric working with Gary Newman for the fourth album. Yeah, that's been all right, yeah. Top 20 album. Yeah. You've done very well. Top two album now, mate. Oh, top two, sorry, yes. <laughs> two, two top 20s. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. It's Pleasure, been good mate. to talk to you. Pleasure. Yeah, and all the best with the future projects. Thanks very much. Oh, it was so good to talk to Aid. Uh, he's quite an honest person, I thought. Like, didn't seem to have like any sort of ego, which was amazing. Um, pointed out that it's really good to always be learning things, and that it's okay to get things wrong in order to get to where you want to be. Okay, next month we're talking to someone who's in management, who's been involved in putting together festivals in the UK and also setting up a nurturing scheme for uh, cities in order to make a sustainable music industry. Ruts next month. I'm Midiera. Thank you very much for listening. That was Midiera Meets. I'll see you again soon. Goodbye.